Before we begin, just giving you an update on our new subscription. It's called Dave McWilliams Plus on Apple. You just double click, you get no ads, and you get me and John, pure and simple. And Mac, you get early access episodes. Did you know that? Sure. My day is made. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. We are back in the HQ. Uh, all is good. It is tropical in Ireland. Met Aaron are warning that we are going to have the heat wave. Uh, they that, warn every, that every, every, every day there's a new warning. Exactly. <laughs> every other country has had for the last seven or eight weeks. Apparently Aaron's going to get two days of it, John. Yeah, well, and, that, that, that's uh, all we could handle. And I am now lathered with factor 70. <laughs> Uh, before I even get out of the basement, having come from the heat of the Mediterranean back into the balmy air of Dunleary and a victory for Ireland against the All Blacks. On the weekend, it was terrific. I didn't even, I didn't see it. Not did I, I. I listened to it on the radio <laughs> and the lads were in tears on the radio. I know, I don't let him get all upset. I, do you know what I tried to do that, that morning of the game? I tried, I think it must be now my 20th time trying to stream. Oh, yeah. And give your credit card details and it fails. Give your credit card details and it fails. And so then I went back to RT2 and just listened to it on the, on the, on the radio. On the radio, yeah. So, so if anybody knows how to stream these things illegally, will you just you know send us in? Well, I always try to uh, stream the Camogie games. And, and it's, it's... Of course you do. You know what, you, what I love about this podcast is we're, we're talking about Ireland against the All Blacks, international sport, play to the highest level between professionals. And John says, I try to stream camogie games. Camogie, that's where it's at, man. That's where it's at. Anyway, and, and but you're quite successful at streaming camogie games. I, I, I remember the Dorky Book Festival. Hitman. You were, oh, yes. you were at, at the Book Fest. We were sitting behind in the green room when I was trying to, you know, engage people with, you know, big ideas about the world. And yeah. John was going, yeah, go on, get into them. And this was John's commentary on... I got them all into it, though. I, on, all, those, all those big, big brainy authors. They were all cheering <laughs> at the end. Some, anyway, anyway, anyway. And I'm just back from my travel. I'll tell you what, European airports, John, all I can say is the Hunger Games. That's what they're like. <laughs> I swear to Jesus, it's just like insane. Really? Do you know what, Mac? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I, as you know, back from Spain, I breeze through every single airport. 
It was just a beautiful thing. Well, John, you are, I've always thought you were kind of a sagacious type of prophet. Oh, yes, of course, you know, I've yeah. got into I've got into the readings. I'm reading a book called The Gardens of Light. Speaking of breezing in right. like a sort of a holy shaman as you walk through Dublin Airport with your followers behind you <laughs> as you breeze in. A book by a guy called Amon Malouf, who is a Lebanese French author. And it's about now, this is my latest obsession. Go on. It's about a prophet called Mani who lived in the second century in what's now Mesopotamia right. and a religion called Manchism. And it was sort of at the time you forget that Christianity and Zoroastrianism and all these religions, they were kind of competing yeah. for converts at the time. And there was a whole rake of new religions knocking around. And one geezer was a fellow called Manny, and I'm reading oh, his what biography. Was, what was his main trust? He, he what was, was... He's like you in, in the Hunger Games airport. He was Zen. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was Zen. Was it based on some sort of philosophy? Uh, yeah, what was the basic? The, the, the base, the basic, you know, he goes to India. So he goes from... They always go to bloody India yeah, and of course come back. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like the Beatles. Like the Beatles, exactly. <laughs> so he's, he's, he's hanging out. He's the son of a Parthian warrior. The Parthians were a huge tribe that fought the Romans in what is now Mesopotamia, Iraq, right. for years and years yeah, and years, yeah. right? And his dad abandoned him and he ended up with this, in a bizarre sect, okay? Like like, like the screamers, are the, you remember the screamers in Dublin? Yeah. Or in, uh, actually not in Dublin, they were out in Donegal, they used to scream and all this. It was a bizarre sect. <laughs> and then he just becomes a, this extraordinary shaman and holy man and thinker and it's it's kind of like a jesus character he was yeah. like a he was like a pound shop jesus who never cut on right yeah. okay <laughs> he just didn't have the right marketing he didn't have the right branding his marketing department was asleep but anyway that's my latest obsession now. yeah so yeah. next week i'll be telling you about Excellent. manny in india and manny in china and all these bizarre things but are there uh, any current followers no 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 he's just me oh. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of this podcast, yeah. you might have a few more. Well, well, so if anybody out there wants to join a sect, okay, I'm establishing a sect uh, and it will be for three weeks only, yeah. right? There's, there's a window is closing in the Manny sect. If you'd, like to, if you'd like to walk like a holy man through Dublin Airport, where all around you is the Hunger Games, follow me and Manny in our... Sanio Manny. Sanio Manny. And the name of the book is... The Gardens of Light. The area is Mesopotamia. The year is the year of our Lord, about 300 AD. Yeah. And the characters are fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now. Now, you were talking China. You mentioned China there, Mac. Let's talk economics. Let's talk economics. Since that's what that's, we're here for. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But I want to ask you about China because there's a lot going on there and not much has been kind of spoken about, it's hard to gauge exactly what's, what's kind of trouble they're in. Well, I, I think it's very interesting. There was, a, there was an expression that the Chinese were desperately trying to get rich before they got old. Yes. Right? So that has been, one of the dilemmas for China has been the fact that the one child policy means that its population is aging very, very quickly. Yeah. And the idea is that could they possibly get rich before they got collectively old. Yeah. And of course, the model in their head or the warning in their head was Japan. Although anybody who's been to Japan would say, it's, if that's where you end up, it's not a bad place to end up, right? But obviously, you know, Japan's been in the news because of the shooting of Abe. Yeah, bizarre, bizarre. Very bizarre. But if you come back to China, because of what's going on in Russia, because of what's going on in the States, 
because of what's going on in financial markets, I think people have missed maybe the biggest story this week, which is the GDP numbers out of China show that China's probably in a recession. Oh, now, really? The, yes. Now, this is really big because the assumption, the working assumption for the last 30 years has been that China, having a growth rate of about 10% per annum, is going to take over the world, yeah. right? And yeah, it's going yeah. to suck in all the capital of the world, etc. right? And what is happening right now is Chinese economy is slowing very, very quickly, like slowing to a recession very, very quickly. Right. And the reason is threefold. One, uh, about 24 months ago, when we reported on, on the show that the Chinese authorities decided to close down lots and lots of gaming what they would call frivolous entertainment on yes, the internet, yeah, right? Yeah, now, what they and were the big cancel culture that was going on and all that all kind of... Is, but what they were trying to do is they were trying to shift Chinese skilled technologists away from what the Politburo thought was frivolous games and eBay-type outfits yeah. and, you know, consumer, what they call consumer-facing technology. And they wanted to push them into harder technology like semiconductors and aircraft manufacture. Yeah. What has actually happened is... Because the Politburo has signaled that it doesn't value tech. Right. Lots and lots of tech investment has just stopped in China because their feeling is, look, what's the point in us investing if at the whim of Xi, yeah. we can close down these companies, right? And the, the great example is gaming companies, which were making, we're really JM plays those weird yeah. games, right? Yeah, yeah. All that sort of JM's a bit weird anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, there's the old COVID. Right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is the real estate boom in China. Yes. Which has been going on for about two decades, right? Not unlike the Celtic Tiger. Basically, lots and lots of Chinese people decided that what they would do is they'd buy a second apartment for their retirement. Yeah. So like any pyramid scheme, the way in which people at the retirement got paid was as if young people were coming in paying higher rents. Yeah. And again, there's been mad overinvestments. Some... Analysts estimate that real estate is about 30% of Chinese GDP internally, which is phenomenal. Whoa. Well, we know that there are... Uh, an 30, hang on, let me just think about that for a second. 30% of China's GDP, GDP is, is real estate. Compare that to, give me a comparison with Ireland back in the, the well, height. Ireland, the top of the Celtic Tiger, it was, we were spending about 16 or 17% of GDP on, on construction. Right. So this isn't this isn't just construction. This is the whole sector, right? Right. Okay. But it's it's very very high at a time when prices are falling. That we do know that there are ninety million vacant apartments in China. Jesus. Ninety million. There are more vacant apartments in China than there are German people in the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, that's good. Way of putting it. Put it that okay. way. Put yeah. it that way. Just give you a bit of sense, right? Yeah. And Jesus, and that is having a amazing. massive effect. And then of course they're going they're going for. Zero COVID. COVID, yeah. yeah and yeah, zero yeah. COVID means they're in this perpetual lockdown. Yeah. So that when COVID emerges, and we know... It's, with, it's, that, that, that's, that's a bonkers policy. I don't quite but, get that. But particularly I got some form of what seems like COVID last week. Now, yeah. I've, I've tested negative, but in the air are all sorts of variants. It's so yeah. obvious now, right? Yeah. And some people are testing positive, some people are testing negative. And it's affecting different people but different in, ways. In very, very different ways. But if you go for zero, I mean, you know, the Kiwis... I know we have to mention the All Blacks again. <laughs> okay, I know. But mentioning the All Blacks, the Kiwis went for zero COVID and it has been very, very difficult for them to Get back. open up their yeah. economy. They're an island in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the Chinese going for zero COVID makes no sense. But again, all this is, this is the interesting thing. 
So Xi is in his third presidential term. Well, right? he will be. He will be. Yeah. And up until now, there was this sense that he was omnipresent, omnigifted, understood everything, yeah. controlled China with an extraordinary dexterity, la, 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 right? Now maybe the, the idea that, hold on a second, are we prepared to give this guy another term in office, right? No, I think they will. Yeah. But given all these things that are going on, now the, the model, and just if you, if you want to know more about this, I was reading this morning the great Substack by Noah Smith, who we've had on the show. Yes. He's very, very good. And he was Rabbit Man. About, Rabbit Man. He's a combination of Rabbit Man and Yates. Yes, that's right. right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He is, he is the, it's a strange combination of bunny rabbits and WB Yates, but who am I, to, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? But his Substack is marvelous, right? Well worth, well worth it. From my own perspective, I think what's interesting for us to look at China is to look at it in the context of Japan. So Japan from 1946 mm. to 1990 grew at these phenomenal speeds, particularly through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So you take, for example, this one statistic, which I always find amazing. Japan is totally and utterly destroyed in 1945. By 1967, it was the second largest economy in the world. Yeah. So imagine That's what it phenomenal. did. It is phenomenal. Yeah. And all the brands and all the cars and la, la, la. And then in the 1980s, it gets into the real estate thing. Mm. And you can see it's almost the same in China. So China, the 1990s, the early, the noughties, it's all export, export, export. Then in the last 10 years, it's all real estate, real estate, real estate. And at the same time, both Japan and China were suffering from falling populations. The yes. Japanese have been about 20 years ahead yeah. of the Chinese. And ultimately, I think that's probably what's going to happen. Now, the reason this is all important mm. is that the assumption has been, number one, that Chinese demand will continue to power the commodity side of yeah. global production. And number two is that Chinese surplus money will continue to percolate into emerging markets, yes. this idea of the checkbook diplomacy. Yeah. Now, if the Chinese economy slows down very, very rapidly, I think it's not that those bets are off, but it's a totally different world. There's less surplus money knocking around in China for them to indulge these projects around the world. Mm. You see, what worries me is, and we've, we've spoken about this before, is that the, the Chinese committee meeting coming up in Politburo. October. Yeah, the Politburo. Yeah. It's coming up in October, I think, isn't it? September, so, October. Yeah. And it's a and, coronation. Yes. It's like, I, it's like what the Brits have. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without the bling. Without the bling, yeah. Without the paedophilia. <laughs> so after that, we, there was talk of, you know, Xi has his eye set on Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. In the old kind of American way of doing things, like a good old war gets the economy going because it just shifts it into a military kind of... If you win. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure, if you win. But it might be a good way for Xi to, you know, kickstart, give it a little boost to a nice little <clears throat> war with Taiwan. I think all this thing is possible. But one of the working assumptions has always been that China would continue to grow at, if not double-digit, high single-digit mm. growth rates. And that would generate the income to allow them to paper over the cracks of the inconsistencies of their various policies, right? Uh. What seems to have happened very, very quickly, and again, I think it's because the world is sort of distracted by other events, is that in Asia, 
the rapid, rapid slowdown of China. It's really rapid, right? Over the last, well, progressively in the last 10 years, but rapidly in the last yeah. year, is a factor which will have profound implications on the way in which China behaves. And so I don't think it's something we've yet really grasped. Another factor, of course, is the fact that, you know, China for so long was adding workers to the global supply chain all the time, dragging down wages all around the world because supply chains were being impacted by Chinese workers. Uh. So it's, it's a fascinating juncture to be at in what has been a fascinating year, 2022, because almost every single assumption that we decided to go with in January in 2020 is, is, is wrong. Yeah. Financial markets, wars in Russia, energy prices, food prices, Chinese growth, like all those big pillars yeah. of the global economy, which is what Sonny was talking about last week. Yeah, so I was just going to go on to, to Sonny Kapoor because he was fantastic and, and he pulled all these various yeah. different issues together and he was really good. But yeah, you're right. I mean, when you look back and when we look back in a few years' time at 2022, what a bonkers year it has really been. bonkers year. And then, then the pandemic is kind of back as well and all various yeah. different things. So what is interesting is maybe one of the big stories of 2022 that we haven't really got our heads around yet is the global implication of a rapidly slowing China. And yeah. and it's very, very hard to know how it, how it pans out. But it's, it's something that we should... Uh, as, as the Skibbereen Eagle said, is keep your eye on you. Going to to the Tsar in Russia. It's the Dave McQueen's podcast. Is keeping its eye on China, <laughs> and you better be worried. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Okay, Mark, so we were talking about China there prior to this and Sonny Kapoor. Oh, from last week, yeah. From last week, who was fantastic. And went down very, very well with the with the listeners. Yeah, and rightly so. 
let's just talk about a few. Oh, yeah, because you said we're going to go through a few of the things again. Yeah, there was just a few things that I wouldn't mind a bit of clarification on. He talked about the valuation effect. Yeah. And that it was the end of, like, the QE of 20 to 25 trillion that was injected into the global economy over the last one. That's come to an end. The low interest rate period is now over. And the corporate tax rate is now over. So... We're in a new kind of era. And he was talking about the reduction of valuations of property yeah, and, and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Surely, is this a good thing? Well, I, what are like, you talking these about? These corrections so, and rebalances. Let, let's go back to what we were talking about China and this notion that 2022 has been unbelievably complicated, mm. unusual. Yeah. What Sonny was talking about is that 2022 and these next couple of years constitutes a massive shift from what went before. So in a way, everything that happened in the last three decades was yesterday's story and tomorrow's story is going to be quite a different one. Yeah. So he said, let's look at financial markets. So financial markets have had the worst performance in the last 30 years, in the first six months of this year. Mm. I mean, that's, again, it's hard to put your head around it. You know, Sometimes people will be talking, who will have talked about crypto and Bitcoin, those falls. But the falls have been across the board, right? Yeah. And he's saying the valuation effect. So what he's saying is that over the last 30 years, interest rates went from low double digit, so 15 or 16%. If you I mean, Irish people might find it bizarre, particularly the younger generation, to know that in the early 1990s, Irish interest rates were on average 14 or 15%. Yeah. Right? And the Irish rate of inflation, Irish rate of inflation was two or three percent. So real interest rates were a punitive thirteen percent here, which wow. is extraordinary. If the economy ever grew at all, yeah. given those sort of yeah, yeah. headwinds, right? Now, what that meant was that what he was talking about is how you value companies and the role of interest rates in valuing companies, which is a very fundamental basic of finance. Mm. And, and anybody who's done finance will have. There's a variety of ways of valuing companies, but one is what's called discounted cash flow, right? It's basically how much is your cash flow worth? Now, the idea is that cash flow is incredibly important because you can sell all you like, you can have great branding, you can have great marketing, you have great market share, but companies go bust when they run out of cash. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. actually happens, right? Because well, you need to pay your, your you workers, you need to pay your, your suppliers, all that kind of so stuff. So you can have amazing companies with, you know, so you, you, you think of all those tech companies and all those even those crypto companies that are going bust now, right? Mm. The reason they're going bust is they ran out of cash. They spent too much cash. There was a there was a thing when interest rates were low called the burn rate, kind of this macho idea, right. which is basically how much of other people's money the companies were burning to try and get to a, a certain level. Right, okay. Now, so <laughs> when... Burn rate. Yeah, I know. It's so <laughs> macho, isn't it? So, for example, if you... Let's say you have 100 euros in cash flow and the rate of interest is 10, yeah. right? You're... Basically what you're saying is your free cash flow, right? You... You divide your 100 by 10, right? Yeah. So what you're saying is your cash flow is worth 10. But if you have 100 of cash flow and the rate of interest is 1, then your cash flow is 100. Yeah. So it's 10 times more valuable. So what you see is arithmetically, as interest rates fell, the values of discounted cash flows rose. So it meant that even if a company did nothing, right? Absolutely right. nothing. Yeah. As long as interest rates were falling and it had a cash pile and it had cash flows and whatever, its valuation went up. So he was saying it was almost like sticking a pin in a donkey. Do you know that, that yeah, right? Yeah. That as long as you did nothing ridiculously bad, 
the valuation of your company would go up as the rate of interest fell. And he said, that's coming to an end. Right. So companies have to be much, much better at what they do. And, and I'm sure there were many CEOs going, I'm a genius. I'm- oh, they all were saying I'm a genius. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember, you know, I mean, the, the, the most worrying leading indicator for a company is if the CEO goes to Davos to talk about climate change, right? <laughs> then, you know, sell the fucking thing, right? Sell it, right? <laughs> These are rules of thumb, right? Yeah, rules yeah. of thumb. And again, lots of those CEOs would turn up at Davos or wherever, the Aspen conference, talking about climate change. You said, that's time to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you yeah. actually, you know, you make widgets for a living son. <laughs> I don't give a shit what you think about climate change. You're not fucking qualified. Just because your bank balance has gone up because yeah. your discounted cash flow has gone up because the Fed has reduced interest rates away with you, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's, that was... He was talking, I don't, listen, I had to suffer all that stuff because sometimes I have to, I'd have to be chairing those things. Yeah. Oh, man. The, 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 the ego, you just need to let loose once the, in a while. The ego has landed. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Brad, Brad Chadwick the fifth, right? And Brad Chadwick the fifth would be, you know, basically building breeze block buildings in middle American states, yeah. right? Yeah. And he would be deciding that so much of a genius as well because his share price went up that he'd actually talk to you about climate change or yeah. nuclear but, fission or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, get away, slap him away. So uh, that's the first thing. The second thing I think Sonny was saying was again about corporate tax rates, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. And again, so when interest rates are, are, are falling, there's lots of credit around, there's effervescence around, tax bases or tax takes tend to be buoyant. Yeah. And ideologically, since the early 1990s, one of the singular most conspicuous planks was reduction in taxation, both income tax and corporation tax. Yeah. Now, we in Ireland went one ahead, but the reason that Ireland reduced its income, its corporation tax was the following. We had no corporations. So having a zero corporation tax, we didn't have any money yeah, to yeah. lose, right? <laughs> like, I mean, Ireland was what we call a beer and biscuits economy. Yes, yeah, So yeah, it was yeah. basically Guinnesses and oddlums we were making biscuits and beer so all our manufacturing was a derivative of agriculture for many many years yeah and then we said okay jesus how are we going to get how are we going to change this well we'll change our corporate tax rate we'll get in money we'll get in companies so we're an outlier because we didn't have an industrial revolution yeah but most countries have had corporation tax rates of around 30 or 40 percent on annual profits and they've been rapidly reduced over the last 10 years yeah and what sunny says that's kind of come to an end and the reason it's come to an end is governments now need the revenue. Right. And but what about this 15% across the board? Well, the 15% across the board is a 15% is a global minimum corporation tax rate. Right. To, to even the playing field. But if you look in the United States, like corporation tax is about 30%. The Brits were trying to bring down corporation tax, as with the French and as with the Germans, but it seems to have stalled. In fact, right. even if you look at the, uh, how would you describe the Tory leadership? It's just great fun. It's it's a circus. It's a complete circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's a fantasy circus. Yeah, a fantasy. And, and your mordant one, my penny. Yeah, you know, what can I say? Yeah, you I, heard I it actually here. saw it. You heard it here first. I heard saw an interview with her, and she was actually quite impressive. Well, it's it's also you know I think that if you've been ruled by generations of upper class twits from Eton, mm. which they have been, yes, I mean totally. God love them, they have totally, been, you know, yeah. and if not Eton, Oxbridge, yeah. right. I think there was something was it was a 15 of the last 16 prime ministers or something like eight of the last seven, something crazy like that, yeah. went to Oxford or Cambridge and many of them went to public schools. Did you just say eight of the last seven? 
Probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I'm following Manny, man. I'm in, I'm in my yeah, Zen yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in my Zoroastrian phase. Okay. Age of the last seven. Um, <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, I think she, she's just different. She's not, yeah. A, she's not a bloke. And B, she's not posh. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's what that's what the Tories maybe need. Anyway. But, but corporation tax. tax. Yeah. So what Sonny was saying, that has come to an end. And corporation tax will rise. And of course, if corporation taxes are rising, it means the government is getting a bit of your profit, not your shareholders, so your share price is falling. Right. So that's another thing he's okay. talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing, let's just move on, because the, the other area that he spoke about was when he was looking to the future, and he's quite optimistic, and that's one of the things I kind of liked him about. He wasn't all yeah. doom and gloom, but he was saying that what needs to happen is this movement of capital to high population, yeah. low productivity yeah. areas. But that's kind of what what China has been doing over the last while in, in, in terms of Africa, particularly the likes of Morocco and building fast trains and Rwanda and... Yeah, no, they have. Uganda I, mean, I, I and all told you sort of last place. year I did a bit of work for Oxfam in Nairobi. That's right, yeah. And I told you getting into the cab, and I asked the taxi driver, you know, and if you if you arrive in an African country, it's so different, right? So you arrive in in Nairobi, you come out of the thing, and there's just like a thousand people pitching stuff at you, anything yeah. at all, yeah, cabs, yeah. la 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 la, and so you, get, you eventually just grab one of them and you jump into the cab. And I was saying, what's the story, man? And he was saying, look, he, he said, the biggest change here is, is China. And I said, how do you mean China? I mean, he said, no, Chinese people. Yes. And he said, selling in the market. And he said, they're here. Yeah. They're here. And we, we didn't know. I was, you know, he says, we didn't know where they came from. But then we just woke up and there were loads of them here, right? <laughs> but that's Did you resent them? No, no, no. I mean, they're, they're bringing in cash and they're bringing in investment. and Yeah, and that's, that's I mean... The funniest thing is when I first went to Africa, speaking of resentment, white South Africans, when mm. I did a lot of work down there, always went on about how much, you know, how black people had no resentment towards them in apartheid and they were incredibly forgiving. And this was a characteristic of, of black culture, this, this extraordinary forgiving thing. And then I actually chatted to a black chief executive yeah. of a large company in South Africa. And this is in 19, 2000, so a long yeah. time ago. And I gave him that spiel about, you know, yeah. and he said, he said, man, it's very simple. They pretend it never happened. We pretend to forgive them. <laughs> it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So the whites pretend apartheid didn't happen. And we black people pretend to forgive them. And that's how we live together. Yeah. And I thought it was like. For Whoa. now. That's it. Yeah, I just thought like, for now, it was like, yeah. whoa, okay, I hear you. Right? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But what Sonny's talking about is almost like it's so the Chinese are doing this for the A, they want resources. Mm. Uh, B, they don't want to commit troops to get that. So in the past, the Americans, what they did was they are Russians, propped up a regime, financed the regime, armed the regime. Yeah. And if their guy won, they got all the goodies, right? Whereas the Chinese have this idea called checkbook diplomacy, where they'll actually just pay. Yeah. But that was all predicated on China being very, very rich. Yes. Now, if China slows down, they have much less cash. That's the first thing. The second thing is what I think Sonny was more getting at is this idea of a new Bretton Woods. So Bretton Woods okay. is a conference. Bretton Woods is a place, I think, in Connecticut yeah. or maybe Massachusetts. Yeah. And it is where the Americans after the Second World War came together with the Brits and basically the Brits, right? But yeah. they, they kind of had the Brits along there just for the crack. It was right. an American idea. 
And they said, we made huge mistakes after the First World War of imposing reparations on Germany. And that just simply destabilized Europe for yeah. another generation. Yeah. And what we're going to do now is we're going to set up the IMF, the World Bank, make the US, the UN much more muscular, uh, the World Health Organization. We're going to centralize all these in Washington, and we're going to change the financial architecture of the world. The fascinating thing about Bre Bretton Woods, you know who weren't invited? The one subgroup that weren't invited at all were locked out of Bretton Woods? Go on. Bankers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they yeah, just yeah. said, no, you guys are trouble. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the, basically, they're going, you bankers, you just do what, whatever we say. Exactly. And think about it. What is so different now is if you pick up financial press today, you'll have like an interview with Larry Fink of BlackRock, right? Yeah. You know, who, you know, some private individual sitting on a tri trillion dollars, two trillion dollars right. of investments. Mm. Those people change the world. Yeah. But they're not elected. They have shareholders. Musk. You know. Musk. Don't fucking musk me, right? <laughs> but but it's it's that idea, you know, that 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 rather than states and bureaucracies and civil servants and maybe some political visionaries owning the tools of finance and being able to say we should finance these people, we should finance this area, what has happened is the financialization of the world is so extreme now that major players in finance are no longer governments. They are these huge, huge investment funds, PIMCO, BlackRock, these ones, right? Yeah. And in that world, it's going to be impossible to execute what Sonny talks about, which is the following. I think his statistic about Nigeria was amazing. So basically, there's going to be more Nigerians in the world than all Europeans put together yes. in 25 years' time, right? Yeah. So white baby booming Europeans and Americans are extremely rich. We have lots and lots of savings in this part of the world, okay? Mm. How do you get our savings out of the hands of people who are hoarding money and into the hands of people who will use that money for productive investment? Yeah. Who will be Africans and Asians, right? Yeah. He was mentioning India, Indonesia, the same, etc. right? Because the growth of the world will come from young people. It never comes from old people. Yeah, true. And the young people exist in what we used to call the third world. And the reason they remain poor is because they've no capital. Yeah. The reason we remain hoarding is because we've too much capital. So basically what he's saying is the white world, our world, yeah. is old, risk-averse, and rich. Yeah. The new world is young, risk-taking, and poor. That's where the returns will be generated for our pensions, is what he's saying. Yes. So in order for us to actually remain fully funded through our old age, which in you and I's case will be about tomorrow week, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we need this to find weekend. productive investments somewhere else. Yeah. And those productive investments are going to be... I think the phrase he actually used as well was, you know, it's all about financial flows, sharing, investing, redeploying. Capital, yeah. But how do we do that? How does that happen then? Well, this is the thing is, it, it demands a, you cannot in all conscience say that the solution to the world is large investment and hedge funds, right? Yeah. We know that that's not the yeah. case, right? Yeah. We also know that uh, there has to be some redeployment of Western capital into what they call the global south. Yeah. Because... If there isn't, and this is something we can, might talk about on Thursday, 
like lessons that I learned in Lebanon. Yes. If there isn't, those people are going to come here. Yes. You know, so yes. it's 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 kind of it's kind of like it, it's a no-brainer, but at the moment there's no global urgency. Yeah. To try and address this dilemma. Is that lack of urgency is that born out of ignorance or uh, yeah. kind of a fear of the unknown? I think it's I think it goes back to all regimes. So like if you think of Bretton Woods, this is like 19, 1940s the UN Security Council, that sort of diplomatic architecture that was justified 70 years ago Mm. is no longer justified. The world has changed completely. Mm. And we do need, there's no doubt, much more effective multilateral organizations. But there's no appetite for it. But the world at the moment is so fractured and so split yeah. along the various different political lines. Even America itself is so incredibly divided. Yeah. So it's in order to have some sort of global Bretton Woods, it seems almost impossible. I think it is almost impossible. Yeah. But also what is also impossible and immoral is for the present status quo to remain in place, where we become richer and richer. Yeah. And they become poorer and poorer and we get all the goodies and they get no of the goodies and we end up being retirees with massive benefits and their kids with no opportunities. And you know, on Thursday, John, we're going to come back to a couple of lessons I learned in Lebanon, right? Which is that they have much better food than us. <laughs> they're much better looking than us and they've much better weather than us. No, but... Lessons, because I, I think maybe Lebanon is a canary in the coal mine. It's a warning sign from the future that things could happen. Right. You see the same thing happening in Sri Lanka as well. Yeah. So let's talk about that on Thursday. Great. Are these small countries leading indicators of what could happen in big countries? On Thursday, we're starting a new little initiative, which is to reward our Patreons for backing us over the last couple of years, for you putting your hand in your pocket and stumping up to keep John and I sane and slightly beyond bankruptcy. What we're doing is every week on our Patreon site, there are dozens of questions come in. We try to answer them, but from now on, we're going to answer them on the podcast. So that is patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Sign up if you're not a member. If you are a member of the gang, by all means, anything that's on your mind, anything that's annoying you, issues you want explained, clarified, just jot them down. And every Thursday, we will answer some of your questions. Thanks so much. Talk to you Thursday. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.